Well, friends, today I am sharing an important message that I just shared with my church, the Gathering Church of St. Petersburg, Florida, and I didn't want you to miss it because as my listeners, I want to help you break free from limiting beliefs, deepen your faith, and really step into a life that is filled with hope purpose, and divine fulfillment. I want to help transform your beliefs and unlock the life that you were created for. And so this message is three beliefs that shape our life. And you'll probably want to grab a pen and paper for this one because I do go into depth. But more than that, I know it is an eye-opening podcast episode that will excite you and empower you to live the life that you were created for. And I would ask that you would share this episode with anyone you know who wants to grow spiritually and break free from what's holding them back from thriving. So please share this episode. Please message me at lori at lauriksnyder.com if you have any questions or want to get any of my free resources. All right, here we go. Welcome to Created to Thrive. I'm your host, Lori Snyder. If you desire a deeper connection with God, want to know your value and purpose, then you, my friend, are in the right place. I will teach God's Word in a simple and practical way to equip and empower you to become who He created you to be, because you were created to thrive. It was exactly 18 years ago when I was anxiously sitting in a new counselor's office. My life was a mess. Fred and I were separated and headed for divorce. I didn't know how to get myself out of this mess. And I was looking for the counselor to help me fix it. I was raised to be a very strong, independent woman. And all the years of striving and trying to make things happen, doing all the self-help, nothing was working. So I find myself in the counselor's office and basically verbally vomiting on him what my life had been up to at this point and what my current situation was. And he listened and he asked me, you know, just several questions uh, about, you know, growing up, what did I think real love looked like? You know, we just talked about a lot of different heart things. And then he looked at me because I was waiting for the to-do list. I wanted the formula to fix my situation, to fix my life, because my life did not look like I had envisioned it to be. We had been married 13 years, and now it looked like it was over. Tim kindly leaned forward, and he said, Laura, your life up to this point is mainly a result of two things, what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. Whether you recognize it or not, these are like invisible forces that shape how you decide to live your life. You get to choose how you respond to your life circumstances, but they will always be reflective of these two main beliefs. That began a whole journey of discovery for me because now I had to get into my heart and I did not know how to do that. I did not know the language to speak, 
how to even begin this process. I was a performer. I knew how to do. I was raised on a farm in the Midwest. We worked hard. Our value was tied to how hard we worked and what we accomplished. None of that was going to help me. Tim gave me a scripture that really became a foundation for my life, and it's from Proverbs 23, 7. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What did I think in my heart? What were those core beliefs? See, our heart is not just our physical heart. What the scripture is talking about is our belief system, the core of who we are. And our heart is comprised of our spirit and our soul. Our soul is our mind, will, emotions, imagination. And to the degree that we line those up with the spiritual reality of who God says we are and who we are in him, are we going to have the life that we truly desire? So we're going to talk about that. These are the three core beliefs that are going to shape your life. They've got you up to this point, and they're going to propel you into your future. So I'm going to challenge you today. I am a transformation specialist. I, whether it's been transforming houses or transforming lives, it's just what I do. Fred and I have had a discipleship ministry for over a decade, and we help people change the way they think because your life follows your predominant focus. So what do you believe about God? In other words, who is God to you? We see this with Jesus in, uh, in, the, in the word with his disciples. And he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet, a good teacher. And then he flips it and he says, who do you say that I am? That is going to be a core foundation of how you live your life. Whether you believe in God, whether you just think, He's there, but he just tolerates me. Um, I know he loves me, but he has to love everybody because, you know, God is love. Do you think he's angry with you? I saw God as a police officer. I did not grow up in the church and didn't come to a saving faith until I was 25 after Fred and I were married. And my view of God First, when we first got into the, the main church where we were living, uh, it was very relational. Our pastors, our very first pastors, a husband and wife, we did a lot of trail hiking with them in the mountains of Colorado with the youth. We took high school kids out. And that was my first experience with Jesus being real to me. And it was fun and it was exciting. It was very relational. Well, then we moved and went to a different church and it wasn't. It was about do this, don't do that. And the messages that we kept hearing all the time were don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Well, your life is going to follow your focus. So if you're focusing on not sinning, guess what? You're going to sin because that's just what you are focusing on. And one day I heard, awake to righteousness and do not sin. I didn't know that was a scripture. So I started changing how I focused to what does righteousness mean? What does it mean to have a right standing with God? 
but I'm jumping ahead of myself here. So what are your perceptions of God? You're going to get those from how you grew up, whether it was in the church, whether it was from your parents, your um, denomination, culture, music, movies. If God is always trying to punish you or you've got to obey or else, if you view God as a punishment God, that's going to shape your life. You're going to live under this obedience mentality that if I don't do this, bad's going to happen. I'm going to challenge that. Because the gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ. What Jesus has done on our behalf. And it says it's the almost too good to be true good news to where we're going to go, really? Could it, be, could it really be that? So your perceptions of God are going to shape how you live your life. Romans 12.2 began a, a big journey for me after Tim and my discussion, and we had a lot of discussions. And for those that don't know, Fred and I were separated for six months, and God really did a miracle in our hearts, first in me. Because of what I did, going deep to know God versus about him, to change my perception of him as a loving father, not as a police officer or performance-based relationship. I had to learn how to be a daughter. God wants a family. So Romans 12, 2 became foundational. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't have time to go through all of these, but if you do a study on the Greek words of this, this will start to open up your eyes to all that that uh, shares with you. That word transform means renovate. Like I said, I was a, I've been a kitchen designer. We renovated eight of our homes that we've lived in. I've moved a lot of places. So I could identify with what that means. But a lot of times people are just focused on, okay, I've got to change the way I think as far as my mind. No, it's a heart because as one thinks in their heart, so are they. So what's going on in my heart? Again, it's a combination of my spirit and my soul. When we get born again, that's why Jesus says in John chapter 3, a person has to get born again because we're born into sin. We have a sin nature. We need to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior to change our spiritual condition. Now our spirit is born again, where it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're a new creation in Christ. That's talking about our spiritual condition. And to the degree that we change the way we think, feel, interact with the truth, are we going to see that become a reality in our life, that spiritual truth? So our heart is a combination of spirit and soul. Our soul gets to choose whether the God's realities, all of his promises that are yes and amen in Christ, are going to be activated in our life. Because to be transformed is an inside-out situation. Now, I was a doer, so I was always trying to do things externally to become something. But that's not how it happens. We have to be, and then we do out of that being. You know, Jesus called his disciples first to be with him, to learn of him, 
to study how he did things and interact with him and have discussions. Then later on, he sent them out to do. But if you think about what did the disciples ask Jesus, they didn't say, Jesus, how did you do that miracle? How did you do this? You know what they asked? Teach me to pray like you do. How do you have that intimate relationship with the Father? Because we want that. So knowing God's true nature, I'm going to give you some practical things to help. Because if you know me, I'm all about the word, but then how does that live out in my life? How do I take the word of God and then practically apply that to my life so I can see victory, so I can have that life in abundance that Jesus came to give me? So first of all, how we're going to know God's true nature is knowing the names of God. And these are not in order. These are just some things that I want to give you to help you. To know his character, first of all, we have the Hebrew names of God. And then we have the I am statements of Jesus, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. Studying those things out will help you start to see the true character and nature of God. And Jesus said, when you see him, you see what God the Father is like. And you know what the Holy Spirit is like because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God now coming to reside in you when you're born again. John 10.10 became a plumb line scripture for me that says it's only the, the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance to the overflow. But a lot of times people think God's the one that is stealing, killing, and destroying. God put sickness on somebody to teach them something. God sent a storm. God did this. You, you hear him in insurance claims, the act of God. It's not God. Since Genesis 3, there are patterns. So what I'm saying here today, you can go back scripturally and see what I'm talking about. Genesis 3, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve and first approaches Eve and says, did God really say... So the enemy is always going to try to steal God's word from you and get you to question. Well, I know miracles happen, right? We talked about miracle. God is a miracle maker. Well, that happens for everybody else, but it doesn't happen to me. Is that really what the truth is? You might have a fact in your life, but the truth will always override the fact. But you've got to partner with that truth. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So Jesus came to give us life, and that word is zoe in the Greek, which means the God-quality kind of life. So when you got born again, that was deposited in you, in your born-again spirit. How you work that out is through the soul realm, how you think, how you feel, what you choose— and involves your imagination. And I've talked before about hope. Hope ties to our imagination. And it's based on love. Love is the foundation that everything has to be built in our life. And how you start to know God is God is love. And I mentioned that uh, the last message that I gave here a few weeks ago about 1 Corinthians 13. God is love. Okay, what love is. The fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know what God's like, look at the fruit of the Spirit. But guess what? That's also what you're like in your born-again spirit. I'm throwing these things out here, so I don't want to go too deep, but I just want to encourage you. There's more to life than you're experiencing. 
You know that, but you don't know how to get it per se. That's where I was at. I said, God, I want your truth to be such a reality in my life. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled, it says in Matthew 5, 6. So the goodness of God, we just sang about it. The goodness of God. Do you know it's the goodness of God that gets one to change direction, change the way they think, change behavior? We think beating them up over the head with the scripture to call out the sin is going to get them to see God. No, it's not. It's going to just cause shame, condemnation, guilt, and make them retreat. But it's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good and that he would have lost heart if he wouldn't have believed in the goodness of God in the land of the living. Goodness of God. One of the things that I was doing, did I say that we did not get divorced? I can't remember that. We did not get divorced. <laughs> I get We've been married now 31 years, and I'll tell you, it just keeps getting better. So um, we have to work out our salvation. <laughs> just kidding. It's good. But we have twin boys, and at the time of all of this separation, they were only three. Now, I did not grow up in a Christian home. So I did not know how to raise my boys up to love God, love others, and love themselves, right? So I started to say, God, I want to know how good you are. And so it became this, this everyday statement. Do you want to hear how good God is? And I started saying that to the boys all the time. Well, guess what? I had to be looking for good things. I had to see God in all of my circumstances. And it just became, they would always then start to ask me, do you think that was God, mommy? And so we got to have great talks or great discussions about it. So goodness of God stories. Start being very intentional to have your own goodness of God stories. So if you want to lead someone to the Lord, give them the goodness of God story that you have. I'm telling you, you'll see people want to rise up and they will want to taste and see. They will want to experience the love and the goodness of God. You also have to know the three aspects of the Godhead. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. I only knew pretty much Jesus. Like I said, I had a wrong view of God. And I definitely didn't know the Holy Spirit, except for singing about the Holy Spirit. I did not know how Jesus could be my best friend. So I encourage you, when you get into the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life here on the earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Encounter Jesus, asking questions. Why did he do it this way? What was going on? Who was he talking to? Start engaging the word from a curiosity standpoint, a relational standpoint, versus just memorizing a scripture and checking it off the list. Or I read my verse today, check. I was doing all the Christian disciplines but I was bored. My prayer life was just like begging God all the time to do things. But this started transforming how I saw Jesus. And like I said, the I am statements. How is that applying to my life? And then God the Father. What I have done in all of my years of mentoring, 
I have found that most people take their natural relationship with their earthly father and ascribe that to God. They didn't have a good relationship with their father or their mother, and then they put that on God. You've got to be refathered. That's what happens when we get born again. We have the DNA, the divine nature of Abba, living on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit. So you have to start learning who that is. God's a loving Father. I'm going to show a video at the end of this message just to help you encounter, because we need to experience his love, his kindness, his goodness. And then Holy Spirit is our comforter, our helper, our teacher. He's going to lead us into all truth. He is who lives in you. We don't wait for Holy Spirit to come upon us. That was already poured out on Pentecost. You have to be born again. Now he lives in you, and we're going to acknowledge him. Just like if you have a guest come into your house, you acknowledge that guest. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right. I'm going to breeze through these next two because we're running out of time. I told you I could talk a long time about this. If you don't know the goodness of God, if you don't know his true nature, his true character, all the other stuff is going to be difficult for you. It all starts with God. Because in Genesis 3, did God really say, well, if God, if, if you had this, God's holding out on you. The enemy's always trying to assault God's character. And then what did he try to do? Do something to prove. So that's going to lead me into the next one, because he did the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness. When the Holy Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness to be tempted to overcome what Adam failed to do in the first garden, he's going to try. He starts saying these things, if you are the Son of God, if this is who you think you are, who you say you are, then do something to prove it. So what are you identifying with? How do you see yourself? What do you believe about yourself? Are you labels? Are you accomplishments? Is it your profession that defines who you are? Is it a life experience? Maybe you have a financial challenge or a health challenge or a relationship challenge. Does that define you? If you were divorced, is that how you would define yourself? See, we attach these labels to ourselves as part of identity. We've got to stop identifying with a situation and start identifying with the truth of who we are, of who God says we are. One of the big things that shapes how we see ourselves are, are the words that have been spoken over us, often at a very young age that leaves a, an impression on us that starts to shape how we do things to prove them wrong or to prove them right. So we have to break agreements with the enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to now agree with the life of God in me, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So how you see yourself during this time of transformation in my life one day in prayer, I'm just thinking about how do I see myself? And all of a sudden, this question just came inside my, my thought that says, is what I'm thinking about myself agreeing with how God sees me? That really started to shape 
how I started thinking about myself because that inner critic made me feel unworthy, ashamed of my past, or not living up to a standard I thought I had of myself, the shoulda, woulda, coulda's, right? The regrets. And I started to recognize, wait a minute, the word of God is a mirror, it says in James, so I've got to look into the perfect law of liberty. Who does God say that I am? And I had to reprogram, renew my mind, reprogram the way I thought to align with God's truth. And that's where I started really digging into Ephesians and Colossians. They're very similar because they say in him, in Christ, by him, through him, over 117 times. So if you want to know how God sees you, look at all of those in him type statements or by him or through him. I'm going to give you a scripture, one, Ephesians 1, 6 through 7. A couple key things I want to point out here. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, I could spend a whole hour just on, on that alone. I want to tell you what glory, a lot of times we think of glory as like, oh, the Shekinah glory, right? The God is so amazing and, and all that. And, and yes, that's part of it. But that's not all it means. That word glory here is doxa, which means God's fullness, splendor, and goodness. But you want to know what it also means? God's view and opinion, which is reality. It's to God's glory, his fullness, all of that. When you agree with who he says you are and anything that does not line up with that reality is deception. And that's where we've got to break that agreement. By his grace, a lot of times people say, Lord, we're not worthy, and they walk in this unworthiness. And I've walked so many women through this unworthiness. Get your eyes off of yourself. No one is worthy. But God's grace made you worthy. Because he who knew no sin was made sin, so that you would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. God's mercy is not getting what we deserve, but God's grace is getting what Jesus deserved. We get what Jesus deserved. It doesn't make sense. And it says that the natural mind can never understand the spiritual. It has to be spiritually discerned. In Christ, that's how we live. I could go on and on and on, but we've got to know God's grace, his mercy, his love, in order to build that right foundation. And then your life situation. What mindset do you have about your life? Do you look at is this is how my life is always going to be, this is how it's always going to be, how it's been, kind of that fatalistic viewpoint. Things are never going to change. They work out for them, but they don't work for me. That inner dialogue. We all have an inner dialogue. It starts with a thought, produces an emotion, then we get an imagination, and then we tell ourselves a story. That does not agree with God's truth most of the time. So we need to take that thought captive, make it obedient to what God says, and then look 
drill down even deeper to our heart, what is my heart needing right now to be assured that if God be for me, who can be against me? Well, what I really want is security, but I'm trying to control everything so I have a sense of security, but it's a false sense of security. God, how can you fill that void? See, I started to learn how to go to God to have him fill me versus fix me or my situation. And that takes time and intentionality, but it'll change the way you live. You've been given a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Is that going to be your life sentence? A lot of people say that is. But God, two of my favorite words in the Bible, but God. No, God says, who will believe the report of the Lord? Because the report of the Lord is you're healed in Jesus' name because it was bought and paid for in Jesus on the cross, in his death, um, burial, and resurrection. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals. But we tend to have an expectation of how that's going to come about, and that's where we can get tripped up. So what are those expectations you have? There's so much, and I know for the sake of time, I don't think you want to be here for another half hour. So um, your mindset, right, change the way you think to come in agreement with God's truth. Why we believe God's word, Jesus again in, in the desert, in the wilderness when he was tempted, what did he do? He came back and said, God says this, God says that. That's why we have scripture. So I will say, if something, if I get a bad report, I have to refute it. And I'll quote Jeremiah or um, Isaiah, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And any tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I condemn right now with the word of God, because God is for me. So who can be against me? And let God be true to every man a liar. That's that resolve that has to come out because it says that my God will cause the victory to happen in my life. I come from a place of victory because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. But it's up to me to speak to that mountain, speak to that bad report, and say, no, in the name of Jesus, you have to bow to the name of Jesus, who is the name above all names. He has legally bought and paid for my healing, for my right standing in relationships, on and on. So the key is going to be looking to Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, not loving our lives to the end. What are you testifying to what Jesus has done in your life? That's what people want. That's when you're ready to give the hope that people need. It's all about Jesus. So behold Jesus. Look to Jesus. Constantly keep looking to Jesus. So what do you believe? The key to the kingdom is believe and receive. And then take that step of faith. I just want you to put your hands out here as a posture of surrendering to God's love, his truth. And if this has resonated with you today, just say, Lord, show me. So, Father God, I thank you for the truth. I thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and understanding. And I thank you for a divine change today, Lord. I thank you that we leave transformed into the image of Christ because that is your will for us. And so we just thank you, Holy Spirit. Seal up what was spoken by you today. In Jesus' name, amen.